and welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Jackie Viramontes. Jackie is a clinical EFT and energy psychology practitioner specializing in childhood trauma. Jackie is the author of Amazon bestseller, I Can't Believe I Dated Him. And in this episode, we really delve into this space of personal trauma and redefining what childhood trauma actually is and how this manifests itself in adult life in limiting beliefs. This episode is packed full of practical tools and wisdom in how you can use the space of limiting beliefs as a catalyst for personal growth. Welcome to the Hadassah Collective, Jackie Viramontes. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's so good to be here too. It's such an honor. I absolutely love what you're doing. Fantastic, fantastic. So looking forward to getting into this chat with you about all things um, energy therapy and EFT. Um, I think we have such a deep connect over that, so it's going to be really interesting. So why don't we start um, by you telling us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am, I'm in the whole energy psychology EFT world, so I'm out in Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, in the trees, and most of the day I'm working with clients, um, working with anxiety and relationships, or teaching. I teach future practitioners and therapists in these like trauma-based modalities like EFT and breathwork. Okay, so interesting. And have you been um, in Los Angeles for the um, the whole of the Corona pandemic situation? I have, yes. Um, I've been right here, uh, barely leaving. I did finally go on a trip where, like, ten friends, we all got tested, and then we went to Santa Barbara, which was very nice. But yeah, Beautiful. everything else, we've been basically cooped up here but it's yeah, not that bad because we have no. some outdoor living here what what has it been like for you during during the shutdown and how how is it looking now I think it's sort of, the things are sort of lifting a little bit in Los Angeles yeah things are lifting a little bit honestly I my actual day-to-day hasn't changed much at all um like mm. my work everything stayed exactly the same. I am used to working with clients remotely. I didn't have any in-person clients. I transitioned everybody. So the day-to-days look the same and we're kind of up in the trees. Like we have a yurt where my husband's down there working and I have like a little detached office. So up here, when I'm like walking my dog around, you can't tell. It's just when you go out into the world to grocery shop or when you want to go get something that you really notice it, there's like a heaviness here. Um, when we went up to San, we went up to Santa Barbara with some friends, we all got tested and all came back clear and went there. And it just, the energy felt so different there. 
Um, there's just like a lot of fear, a lot mm. of heaviness here. So that's been hard to shake. That's been the biggest difference. Just like that feeling of just that collective yeah. fear and almost the shaming that's going on. Yeah. I don't know if you have COVID shaming there around all the protocols. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm in Thailand at the moment. I mean, India is where I live in Bombay is still very much, um, you know, dealing with um, COVID with um, rising cases and things like that. And so it's a little strange for me to be here in Thailand because they really managed it very quickly. Obviously, we have a lot smaller population here. And, you know, when you go out, I mean, it's you, you get fined if you're not mm. wearing a mask. But, um, you know, so there there is that. And um, but you could and everybody is sticking to that. Everybody is pretty much sticking to the social distancing and the wearing of masks and everything like that. But there is it's a strange feeling because I feel like the rest of the world is kind of going through a lot, like especially, you know, L.A., there's a lot of social unrest as well as um, the fear, the physical fear around the pandemic and things like that. And in Thailand, it almost is like, OK, well, we all wear masks now, but everything's back to normal, you know. So it's a very like it's really strange to be balancing those two scenarios. But I mean, I'm I'm also grateful for that, that I, you know, I'm not too um I'm not too shut in and um, we can get out and we can do things pretty, pretty normally. So that's, that's been great. But I, I know I feel that push and pull like every single day where it's like, oh, I just wish it would go back to normal. I wish we could go do things because I hate feeling that control. Mm. But then there's that other side yeah. where I feel that, but why are people out and socializing? They need to be safe. So every day I seesaw and I like am a hypocrite on one side and then a hypocrite on the other. And it's really yeah. hard to just like stay balanced and go, okay, wait, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? So that's, yeah, it's been a balance. And in that moment as well, in the day-to-day, -day, because my day-to-day, -day, I'm the same. Like, my day-to-day -day is, is great, and I'm doing things that I love, and, you know, I'm interviewing really interesting people like yourself, and, you know, so I'm kind of, I'm busy, and, you know, I'm in a lovely space, but there's also that side of me, again, that I don't like the control. I really don't like being told what to do, so I, you know, the fact that I can't just get on a plane really upsets me, and also there's the bigger questions of, like, when will I see my family in Australia? or even my father who's in Beijing and so it's it is a really strange um time to be managing emotions I think so I guess it will be a busy time for you work-wise oh my gosh work-wise with it has been busier so that I'm really <laughs> thankful for yeah. I know a lot of I'm in a world where everyone's in the film industry which has been totally shut down my husband's a filmmaker director mm. And, um, yeah. you know, he was having like two weeks just off of, or two months off of everything. And I just was kind of getting slammed. So I felt grateful for that, but I get the travel thing. We would, he would travel every other week, sometimes every week for work. I would travel a lot. Um, yeah, my husband and I were used to traveling like every other week since he travels for work all the time to shoot stuff. And then, um, we, we're just like adventurers. So that's something like we always do. So that's been the huge transition. And I have a twin sister, like an identical twin. Um, and she's pregnant right now. So I won't be able to go see her and her baby. Let's move into how you got started in um, this wellness space and how you got into this journey of energy psychology. And 
um, what this looked like sort of from your, your, early, um, your early years. I mean, I know that you studied journalism and, um, you know, throughout your own childhood, what did, what did that look like for you? What did that space look like for you? Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? And how did that lead you down this path into energy psychology? Yeah, so the whole healing journey starts like really young. Um, I don't know if you know, but my brother died when I was five. So I felt like it was a mandatory entry into the healing world. um, I developed severe anxiety and PTSD Mm. symptoms. So I had clinical OCD from like five until 15 when the symptoms finally left. Um, And I say mandatory healing because my mom is someone who's a beautiful role model and mentor in my life. And she obviously did not want to put two little five-year-olds. I have a twin sister. So there was two of us um, that both reacted to the trauma really differently, but she didn't want to put us on medication. I don't know, even know if you can put a five-year-old on antidepressants or anti-anxiety. So she left her job. She was a producer. She would produce Mm. commercials. She'll wear high heels, go travel and work. But she totally left her job and like just dove into holistic healing to try to help us. So that was like a huge catastrophic shift in our life that put my whole family on like a holistic healing journey. So I would say it was laced into my life at a very young age. So Reiki, meditation and yoga were the things that um, my family got into first as a way to heal the grief um, and then to just heal the symptoms because it was a traumatic death. It was not a planned or it wasn't expected at all. Mm, I wow. can go into it if you need me to. No, I mean, it's, it's entirely up to you. It's, it's, uh, it's obviously a, a big part of your story. I don't think that something like that happens in someone's life and, um, you know, you're not changed by it. And that's what an incredible woman your mother is because in her own space, she would have been dealing with so much grief, you know, so much grief, so much guilt, so much everything. And for her to be able to, um, you know, mother you in that way and um, be really conscious of your healing as well as her own and and your family's healing, like, I think that that's so incredible. That shows um, such an amazing strength in character. Oh, that makes me want to cry when you say it that way. Mm. I have to tell her. I tell her all the time that I like wouldn't be here if she wasn't my mom. And I think it's true. I just would have been a mess. I mean, he, he was hit by a car in front of our house. And it, my, I have an di- identical twin sister. So we were five. He was seven. Um, and just wow. when you say the guilt, she had so much guilt. Because as a mom, mm. it's like you think it's your job to keep your kids alive, right? Which sounds so simple, but I can't imagine the guilt that she had. And I can't, even my dad, I give a lot of credit because he wasn't there. So he never, ever shamed her. He never asked for the details. He, He wasn't trying to place blame on anyone. So they're not together anymore, but they're really close and they have this mutual respect for each other. So that's basically how we got into Reiki healing Mm -hmm. was really transformative. And she ended up getting trained in Reiki and she actually brought both of us since she became a single mother. I mean, 
they split up when I was nine. So when I was nine years old is when she got trained in Reiki because since she was a new divorcee, she was like, I need to provide for my girls. So what if I started a little Reiki side business while I, you know, move from being a stay at home mom, which she definitely was after he died. She did not want to like leave our sides for a while. She was very traumatized. Yeah, um, sure. But we went to the trainings with her. So we went to the trainings as a little nine-year-old, and I got trained in Reiki 1 and then Reiki 2. So that's how it really got started. It was really young. So I've been in the world mm. for a long time, but I never, ever thought I would do it. Like, as you said, I went to school for journalism and tried to just have a normal job. But things things changed and led yeah. me back. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think as well it's such an interesting sort of view of treating childhood trauma as well because like you said um you know your mom didn't want want you guys to be on medication at all um which I think is incredible and I think that we don't handle that in our society that's not how we handle things anymore we're you know we are looking for the band-aid all the time and I think it's so unhealthy and you said I'm not even sure if a five-year-old can be put on medication but I think they can now you know, oh, which definitely. I think is, is terrifying, you know, and um, so, so yeah, I think the, like, it's, it's so great to have other options. I think medication is, is always sort of, it's a valid option at some, you know, in some, in some cases, but I think that it really should be the last option, and I think that that's what's really sad about our sort of our medical system and even our mental health system is that it's always medication is the first option now. And, oh my, um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, medication is so easy to get on. And my they put my sister on antidepressants when she was in third mm-hmm. grade. And just the side effects were so brutal. I mean, it wasn't worth it at all for her. And like weaning off of them was so hard for her. So wow. I think she was only on them for about a year. But it, it's just like if you take someone from my mom who was so anti, it was just so readily available and they made you they can make you feel like you have to. A lot of my clients, it's like we they need them and they're a great boost. It's a great way to kickstart like the chemicals in your brain, but definitely mm. not a first option. And that's what I'm like, yeah, hoping yeah, to change. And- Exactly. I was going to say, has that sort of shaped your your practice as well? Um, yes, in every way it's shaped my practice, just my experience. Because the, the thing that really shaped my practice, Claire, was that I went to, by the time I was 12, I'd been to so many different therapists, hypnotherapists, mm. psychologists, and no one ever um, talked to me about how what I was feeling was a symptom of the trauma we saw everyone acted as if it was this just these isolated symptoms. And even as a kid, I remember just feeling like something was off about that. Like I went to grief counseling at school with my little group, and then I'd go to counseling for my OCD, and then I'd go to my other person for my anxiety, and they didn't treat it like it was all symptoms of the grief and PTSD. So now when I work with people and anyone who knows about the brain and how it works and triggers. Yeah. It's like everything's a symptom. Every every fear, every feeling made sense at one point. Being controlling made sense if you don't want that to happen to your sibling. But it doesn't yeah. make sense when I'm with my husband, you know? So it's like everything's a symptom that made sense. We can honor it and then heal the original wound. But 
that that like really fires me up because so many people don't treat it like it's just this um yeah life sentence not a symptom Mm, yeah that's really interesting that's really interesting because a lot of um I mean what you're what you're saying is that no one was really treating you holistically they weren't looking at it as a whole and um and yeah I think that we do see we see that a lot as well even today and um and also I love that you say that it's it's like a life sentence and people it's almost like people believe that things are part of their personality you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that, that that it's just something that they need to live with. And so I think that that's really interesting that you um, have observed the fact that, that everything is actually healable, but we, we need to sort of look at the root of that issue rather than just looking at that symptom. I so, yeah, I love, I love how you say things. I'm like, it's so clear, but I so think that everything's healable because everything made sense at one time. Like even the worst, like most shameful thing a client will bring, it's, it's just the beauty is this is not a bad thing. It it helped you. It helped you survive some of the bad things and rock bottoms as we call it. Um, but it helped you survive that. And now it's just out of context. It's just outdated. Yeah. Yeah. It's running. It's like, it's running old programming. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I do Kundalini yoga and there's one thing that like one quote that always makes me laugh, um, is when like Yogi Bhajan had said, you know, people were really worried about AI and everything like that in the seventies. And he was like, you guys don't even need to worry about AI. You're already running on like this, dysfunctional programming (laughs) you're already a robotic disaster just your subconscious mind is a robotic disaster (laughs) and this this totally I totally relate to that because I see these sort of things and I recognize it in my own life these things that I sort of attached myself to um, these decisions that I made really early on in life that this is how life is and you know, I'm not going to let that happen. And it shaped the way that I behave and I react to the world. And it's, it's totally not valid in an adult context. And Mm. one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well, because you are a a childhood trauma specialist, and you've also had, obviously, this is a hugely traumatic experience in your, in your childhood. And society would regard that also as a traumatic experience. But I sort of feel that in some contexts we need to redefine trauma because I think that a lot of times when people think of trauma, they do think of these big experiences, you know, a death of a family member or something experiencing violence in the home or things like this. But um, a lot of the research that I have, you know, a lot of the books that I've read is that the way that the child's brain works is that things that we don't necessarily consider as huge traumatic experience can actually be traumatic as a child. And even personally, in my own life, like I have never had anything that society would really deem as massively mm. traumatic. You know, I thank goodness I've never yeah. experienced that. But there is everyone, I don't think anyone escapes this life without, um, you know, picking up trauma along the way, you know, and, um, what is your, what is your view on that? Because I think we put a lot of shame around that as well. Like I always did. I always thought, you know, I, I almost have no right to feel, you know, feel this way, 
because you know I've never had anything that justifies you know that justifies that and then you add oh guilt on top of that yeah I should be grateful I should be grateful I should be grateful so you're I hate that guilt I should be grateful that. I hate that I should I be grateful I, I so resonate with what you're saying um mm. it's like the biggest I think it's the biggest block to healing is like well I shouldn't have any issues oh I had a great warm childhood I shouldn't have any issues mm. it's couldn't be more false actually there's I don't know if you read this but there's um I'll try to remember all of them. There's four characteristics of trauma, and only one of them is when we are feel physically in danger. The other one is when we, um, and these are from you know neuroscientists who study when the body res- turns into a fight or flight response. So one is mm. the expected when we feel in danger. The second one is when we feel like we're not accepted or embraced for who we are, which is huge and happens mm. all the time. So anytime we get criticized or even if a parent, uh, you know, a lot of the people I work with, they had parents who were a little extra controlling or who wouldn't, who would do their projects for them. No one would say that was traumatic, but it's teaching you that you're not enough or that you can't do it on your own. So that's that second one is when we don't feel accepted for who we are. Yeah. And and I think, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I could, I'm like trying to remember the other ones. One is um, when we just feel like something is over our capacity to cope. So say your parents are fighting and maybe they're a lovely couple, but parents fight and you're two years old, them yelling at all overwhelms your senses and that registers in the body as trauma. So when you're hypervigilant as an adult, you're like nothing bad, quote unquote, happened to me, but it did. You your senses were overwhelmed with the capacity to cope and you developed a fight or flight response where maybe you felt small and unsafe. So I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the fourth one, but it's, it's so not that cultural myth that it has to be some horrific thing. We get like the fear-based programs from like every micro little life event. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that is, I think that that's a really interesting concept. And I also think that it's a really, good step to sort of dismantling shame around um, mental health and wellness because, you know, I'm very passionate personally about mental health and wellness and spirituality, deep spirituality. And I remember when I told, I told one of my friends one time that like, you know, I'm go- I'm seeing this amazing therapist because I say it like I'm going to a Pilates class, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, they're like, why, why are you going to therapy? You know? And I'm like, well, because I see it as a space that it's like, it, you know, okay, yeah, there may not be anything like massively wrong with me or massively wrong in my life, but I feel like there's always space for like more freedom and, you know, newer levels and, um, you know, breaking new barriers within yourself, if, if you put it that way. And I think I'm really interested in that journey and I, I love it. And I think that um, this sort of stigma around therapy of like, oh, you must have something wrong with you if you're going to therapy. That that's not been my experience at all. And like, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's, um, I think everybody needs therapy, quite frankly. But I also think that there's um, there's a space as well that we really don't treat our emotional and mental and spiritual health in the same way that we treat our physical health. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a lot of shame around. Um, 
you know, addressing our mental and, and emotional health. And it, I always use this analogy that there is, um, you know, if you, if you were shot, you would, it doesn't matter who you are. Like if you get shot, you need to go and attend to those bullets in your, um, you know, in your body and you need to go and get that healed. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a penthouse or if you're sitting on the side of the road, you still need to get that healed. Whereas I think we don't treat our emotional health like that. And I know that for myself, even I, I, I used to think, well, you know, I should be grateful again, that I should be grateful. And, you know, other people are so much worse off than me, but it's, um, or, you know, have much bigger problems than me. But I think it is our own personal responsibility to take care of our mental, emotional and spiritual health. And, you it's know, just, be the best yeah. version we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's what just is, like, that. it's like, oh, if you get shot in a penthouse versus you get shot in a little shack, it's like, yeah. are you supposed to feel grateful? It's so ridiculous. I, I don't, I mean, <laughs> be I like, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a penthouse. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be fine. This shouldn't hurt fine. me. Yeah, you know. Or like, I have the resources to get these bullets out, so I shouldn't complain. It's such BS. Yeah. And you know, I grew up having to lie about my mom's Reiki table in the basement, and I'd have to say mm. it was a massage table. But it's just like what you're saying. Why is it okay for your muscles to be tight? You have to get a massage, but it's mm. not okay for you to get that energetic massage when you're feeling really depressed or grieving or when you just want to attend to your energy system. I think that's the biggest shift we're going to have is mm. – um, yeah, I think the biggest shift we're going to have is people will start to just become educated and realize the energy system, our nervous system is just a real system in the body, like your digestive, reproductive, and yeah. they're going to start treating it like that. It just gets over that barrier of it being so spiritualized and people being turned off by it. I think people are so yeah. scared of what they don't see, but I mean, people did the same thing with our nervous system and reproductive system they made it seem all over spiritualized when it's a real system of the body that we have to attend to or else you're gonna have problems big problems yeah yeah and you're just not functioning at your you know your best your highest potential I suppose so you're just not functioning properly until you remove the bullets <laughs> until you remove the bullets when I first met my husband and he is amazing and now so open and so supportive but I remember making my first course on chakras and the limiting beliefs that are associated with those. And he, I showed him and his first reaction, I like could have died. He was, he said, I'm just so glad I don't need anything like that. And it was so crushing, but it was that same kind of thing of, oh, well, I don't struggle with any limiting beliefs. And it's mm. like, really? Or are you just not really listening to what's going on in there? And now he's like the first person to laugh and feel embarrassed that he said that. But it's just people don't learn. And I used to feel so triggered by that. But now it's just like, if you don't learn about it, it's going to seem foreign. So I just think the more we can educate people and make it normalized... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that you're doing an incredible job of that. I love what you're doing with Etch Daily. I look forward to those emails. And um, yeah, I think that you're doing an amazing job of, of really making it relatable to people of keeping that scientific aspect there. And, um, and keeping it relatable and keeping it relatable to people's everyday lives. Because 
I think so often as well is that things seem way out there in terms of neuroscience and things seem mm. way out there in terms of spirituality. And it's really like about bringing those practices and going, okay, how can, how can this help me in the day to day? How can this make my relationships better? How can this make my work life better? You know, and um, I think that you do a great job of that. Oh, so, thank you. That was a dream come true, coming finally making that and getting it off the ground during COVID. So yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. And so, how did um, so obviously very early on in your life, you were exposed to a lot of alternative healing methods and things like that. And how has this shaped you in how you deal with things later on in life? Like, have you faced any other? kind of rock bottom moments along the way and how did you apply these tools um, to navigate that? Yeah, and what's funny that you were talking about the traumas that we don't think of them. I would say my rock Mm. bottoms are when nothing actually traumatic was going on. I mean, a lot of people, their parents getting divorced is really big, but that didn't feel, that didn't feel like it really affected me in a big way. My biggest rock bottoms was was in relationships And then my first year out in California, like with relationships, it was just a rock bottom because I think any rock bottom I was facing, it was when I was settling. So it's a lot of people I work with too, but I kept being with people who I absolutely loved. Um, We would have a healthy seeming relationship. I don't regret being in the relationship, but then they would cheat. It was like this pattern of being with people who were unfaithful, untrustworthy, and it, mm. that wasn't traumatic, getting cheated on. It was when I would go back to them. So I would forgive them and go back to them and kind of go into that settling place of I'm not worth more than this. And that would be my rock bottom is the moment I took them back almost. Wow. How interesting. Because it just really broke. It breaks your own trust in yourself, which I think is mm. the most traumatic thing you can do to yourself. So that's definitely a rock bottom. It happened a few times repetitively and I think each time I went back and said yes uh, it just really imprinted oh you don't think you're worth more than this Mm. and if now that I can be honest with myself I was unfaithful not in action but in my mind which I think is just as important I was always keeping that door open and not being faithful because it was that that self-worth block of I need to keep the doors open so that if they hurt me I won't let myself feel hurt which came from a deep sense of uh, inadequacy so those were big and really rocked me really really rocked me yeah and and how did you overcome that how did you uh, move through that Man, I moved out to California after graduating from journalism school. Um, and I actually, it was a really interesting series of events, Claire, but I, I grew up with like a group of people where it was very sexual, right? So a lot of your worth came from your sexual power is the only way I can put it. I mean, yeah. if you were able to, yeah, it really, that's the best way to say it. When I moved to California, I came with like a clear intention that I just wanted to be around people who were really uplifting and who respected each other, the like girls mm-hmm. and guys. And I did Teach for America. I don't know if you've heard of that where you no. are. It's like a teaching fellowship where you go and volunteer. Well, you teach in an inner city. So I was okay. in. Um, yeah. So I, I got placed there. 
um, in like Compton, Inglewood area, which is like a rougher neighborhood to teach in. And I got placed in this group. This is a long story, but it's like so important with the spiritual background. Um, I got placed in a group and like three of my closest friends were really spiritual Christians. And um, their role modeling that, hey, you don't need to use your body to be worthy or you don't need to feel worthy if someone wants you or not, which sounds so silly now, but I just feel like so many women are trained in that. And I totally Mm -hmm. was. Is like your worth comes from if you're wanted was so false. And having them as friends who were so different than the people I grew up with retrained my brain to be like, oh, I'm a person. I should be respected. I'm more than my body. And I deserve a man who wants me for what's like in my mind, in my heart. And it, it was like just one of those divine experiences where something totally shifted in me, just having those three girlfriends And I met my husband the first day they brought me to a church there, which I never would have stepped foot in a church before that. I never had stepped foot in a church except for my brother's funeral. And um, I met my husband that day and he's someone who totally embodies that. Like he just, he is the most trustworthy, respectful human being I've ever met. But so were many of the other people there. That's so incredible. So so I hate to say that, you know, Christianity, which would have made me like, feel so tense up in my past, but something about Mm. the morals or the, just the values really switched something in me. And I never, ever again settled in that way. Wow. It was like one of those divine intervention moments. (laughs) Yeah. 100%, 100%. And that you had those examples of people. I think it's also, um, that you had these examples of people who had, who had built their own worth around what God said about them, you know, not what the, you know, not the worth that the world had put on them, you know, that if you're sexy or you wanted whatever, they, they, these friends that you met, that you divinely met for sure, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, embodied that. And I I think that that's, that's incredible. And it's so amazing that you had that shift in you, beforehand you had that like energetic spiritual shift that you're like well hang on a second that's not where my worth lies and then so quickly then you met your husband so it's really interesting that like when your worth lined up then you lined up with his um his worth oh exactly and like I do not want to make it seem like it wasn't really difficult to not keep engaging in those habits because it totally was but it's like what you said you just need examples sometimes and instead of it being this example of oh some closed off um cold female it's like there's these powerful sexy beautiful girls who were like no I am more than this and you will respect me for it and I won't allow you to talk to me or treat me that way it's like you just need examples and I don't know why I didn't have them till then, but so thankful I did. But yeah, definitely had a lot of tests where I had to really put it into practice. Definitely failed some tests, but it was like all of a sudden it felt like I was then, you know, disrespecting myself. It wasn't, um, it just mm. felt totally different. So it was a very quick transition. It was wild. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. Um, I know what you mean when you say tests, but I think it's also a I never think of these things as like tests as something that you necessarily like can fail. I think that it's always just an opportunity to like 
to choose something different, like to choose a different way. And you know what I mean? I think that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like when you say something like it, it was a test, it's like, Oh, I failed that and whatever. And it's like, well, no, you've, this is, you've been conditioned to think this way for so long. Like it's going to take some time to like be able to, some opportunities to be able to choose again and choose something different, you know? Oh, and sometimes yeah, it's like an initially, athlete. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's like an athlete, so, you get, build a new muscle and then you get put in a position where you can use it and you might not, or you might have the courage to use it and be like, Oh, I can do that. But it's like no shame if you don't. It's just like, Oh wait, it's an opportunity to flex that new muscle I have um, mm. and actually use it. And then you feel comfortable doing it the next time. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And um, what would you say to someone who is listening right now? Because the questions that I, um, when I put out for for Q&A on the, uh, on my Instagram, the questions that came back were all related to your book and all were relationship questions. So I thought that that was really interesting. (laughs) Um, But what would you give for someone who is, um, who's in that space right now, who feels like, you know, They've been in several relationships where the person hasn't honored them, they've cheated on them, and, you know, they've gone back, and they're sort of, they resonate with your story and that feeling of um, settling, and is this all that I'm worth? Um, mm. You know, what would you say to them that those, that first step would be, um, or practices that they can they can dive into to sort of get to the bottom of, of that? I love that question. I, my first thought, and I almost tuned in with the person asking is like, I first identify what fears are under the surface because think about maybe it's staying with someone who you know is not right for you, but underneath the surface, there might be the fear that if you leave them, you won't find better. Or if Mm -hmm. you leave them, you'll you'll have the shame of, oh, I don't deserve better. So note it, identify what fears are there. What I was hearing is that you should be grateful. So I, I just notice if that voice is there too, of I should be grateful for what I have. There's nothing better. And I was really picking up that that might come from modeling. So one, identify the fears that are there and then notice if it comes from something that happened in the past. So maybe you left someone and then you were alone for a few years and you didn't like that. It'd be really important to just deal with and face and heal that and the feelings that that came up in that time of being alone and single. But also look at if it didn't come from something that happened, that's proof that I don't deserve or proof that it's not better. Notice if it was modeled because a lot of how we expect to just stay with someone is what we saw our own mom doing or what we saw our caregivers doing so just notice was someone in your life that you respected staying with someone and going oh well maybe they'll get better or oh I should just be grateful because he's nice sometimes so just notice where it's modeled Mm. um and then go back and do some reparenting I love reparenting work it's like if you were gonna like go back and talk to that little girl or that teenager who was picking up, like what advice would you give her and just reparent? Um, and it's, it's going to change how you feel now. That would be my tip. Wow. That's fantastic. And, um, so tell us you are an EFT specialist, clinical specialist and, um, practitioner and tell us a little bit about where EFT comes into this process and a little bit about what EFT is. 
Yeah, if someone doesn't know what EFT is, it stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. It's a really simple stress reduction technique that uses acupuncture, acupressure points on the face and torso. So it's the most effective modality I've used when working through beliefs or emotions because what you're doing as you tap them is you're turning off your fight or flight. So shame, insecurity, fear, jealousy, those are all just a label we give to fear. So when you're tapping, you're turning down the volume on those emotions. So when working through this scenario, you know, of I'm afraid of leaving, you just kind of tune into that fear. You can even vocalize the worst case scenario and tap. And what's going to happen is the fear around that possibility or that worst case scenario is going to feel a lot less threatening because you're going to drop out of fight or flight and come back into your rational mind. So if I didn't, if I need to explain more of that, I'll totally go into it. But it's my favorite no, I, tool. I think it's that's so simple. great. I um, I find I actually find EFT really interesting because when my cousin actually told me about it several years ago in Australia, and I kind of was like, oh, please, you know, like I, you know, <laughs> I was totally. like, this is ridiculous. What you're going to tap on your face and it's going to like heal your emotions. <laughs> and saying these things like because you know there is a lot of look I love um different spiritual um practices and things like that but any of these kind of you know say something 50 times or write down what you want like all of these kind of ritualistic practice repetitive practices I'm like I'm just not the I'm never gonna do them you know and so I thought EFT (laughs) I'll be very it's honest. So I felt the same way. I got sent a YouTube video and I was like, like talk about Please. the shame of going to therapy. I was like, I can't let anyone see my computer screen while I'm doing yeah. this. This is horrifying. Exactly. And I was like, but anyway, it came onto my onto my radar basically just several times and like through books that I read or different things I'd seen on Instagram and I was like okay and I'm such a geek then I have to like really (laughs) investigate it and when I read about it and I read about the science behind it and I was like well you know if it can really be used with people with severe PTSD and it can release their trauma then maybe it can help with some of my slight (laughs) irritations you know day-to-day irritations that I have in normal life and what I think is very interesting about it is it's such a great circuit breaker you Mm -hmm. know um when you're feeling like you know triggered by something or you're upset about something it's like instead of I don't know about you but I can definitely sort of if something is bothering me you know it's hard for me to let it go in my mind and it'll still bother me until it's actually physically resolved whereas um EFT I think is just like a really great circuit breaker to sort of um break that chain and as you say move into move out of your fight or flight response mode and move into that more of a rational um space and just even just to bring you some peace you know Oh, definitely. Um, That's what I was so embarrassed to watch them. I'm like, I can't, I can't at all. <laughs> so, I know. but it worked so well. Like I was yeah. anxious about a public speaking event. I had to go teach to the master's class I was in while I was teaching and I did it then. And I felt so much better in five minutes. I'm like, I don't care if it looks weird. I'm going to do this. Yeah. But that's why I'm trying to make ones that are, you've probably seen on Edge, like stop motions where they're a little bit less embarrassing, where you wouldn't feel ashamed to be so seen true. doing it. I know. But it's so good with the limiting beliefs because we just have these yeah. mental highways that we go down and 
it's like we got a pattern interrupt. That's the funny yeah. part of it is people feel funny doing it. Like a lot of my clients laugh the first times they do it. I'm like, that's <laughs> good that you're laughing because it's breaking that pattern. It's like a built-in pattern interrupter when you're having these feelings. Yeah, well, I mean, I actually also had, it, it's very interesting as well, because I, what also made me really believe, sort of really realize, it's always sort of made me feel like if I'm really pissed off about something, then I'll kind of just go, okay, you know, I need to get out of this space and I'll just do it. But I never took it so seriously. But um, I actually was suffering for some physical pain and a really good friend of mine, um, she's an emotional um, empowerment coach and um, she's amazing her name is Lamia Asawala and she I was on the phone with her and I had this really bad neck injury and she mm-hmm. was like look we're gonna just do some tapping just in case it's some like trapped emotions or whatever mm-hmm. and um, it really helped release this some of this tension in my neck and I was just like wow um, <laughs> this, this really, um, is really powerful I used um, to get but, migraines like every other week mm-hmm. and now I don't. So it was, there was definitely a psychological component. And yeah, it's supposed to reduce it by 80%. Most of my clients are young, too young to have enough of my own case studies on pain, but it's supposed mm-hmm. to reduce it a ton. That's incredible. That's yeah. really incredible. And um, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's an interesting practice. And yeah, I also thought it was crazy. And that's actually why I put out that, ins- I put a tapping thing for one of the shadow, for shadow, releasing shadow aspects or integrating shadow aspects, because mm-hmm. I was like, and I was like, do I do this? People are going to think I'm crazy. But then I was like, no, I'm going to share this because this technique actually really works. And so, um, yeah, I love that you're on board about that. And can you explain some of the um, neuroscience behind um, the, behind like limiting beliefs and you know, how you're repatterning the brain in, in a way, creating new neural pathways with EFT, how that works. Okay, uh, totally. Mm. So when you have a belief, like when you have a first thought, think of it as just a seed, it's a neuropeptide. And then when mm. you think that thought again, so so say you are in a relationship and someone says, ugh, like I'm leaving you. You have this thought of, oh, am I unworthy? One little neuropeptide, a seed's planted. Then you're single for a few months. It's like every time you go on that date or you swipe right or swipe left and they don't match, it that seed turns into a neural pathway. So we have the thought again, oh, maybe I'm unworthy. So mm. it turns into a little trail in your brain. And then every single time you think that thought or you have an experience that reinforces that belief, I'm unworthy, oh, look, he chose my friend over me. I'm unworthy. It turns into a neuro highway, basically. So Mm. if you think, everyone can probably write down some of their core beliefs that drive some of their triggers or some of their blocks. Those, think of those like highways. It takes 60 days to turn a neuropeptide into a highway. So that's not that long, but it takes 60 days to, so it's going to take 60 days of consistent, repetitive, practicing an opposite or antidote to belief in order to pave that over. So I think about it a lot of, there's a lot of language around 21 days or 30 days to build a habit. There's, there's some truth to that because, okay, I I am worthy, right? I'm going to take action. I'm going to plant that seed. I'm going to meditate on that belief. I'm going to have a mantra. If you do that for 30 days and you actually act on it, you plant the seed. I'm worthy. 
you go, you go break up with that person as an action step to embody that belief, I'm worthy of more, that neuropeptide turns into a little trail, but you still have this highway. So think of like the biggest highway in your city versus like a little hiking trail. It's still, you're still going to revert to the highway. So what you need to do is just acknowledge and de-shame the fact that you are going to still have the thought that you're still going to have the thought, oh, I'm unworthy, but you just need to go, okay, that's a highway. Don't need to beat myself up about having that thought. I'm just going to keep acting as if I am worthy because every time you do that, you're going to walk down that little hiking trail again, and it's going to get wider and wider and wider and wider. Um, and after 30 days, the, the two roads will be there, but you need another 30 days to make sure the new one is bigger than the old one. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it actually takes 60 days, 60 days of consistent practice. And I just like to tell people it's okay if you have negative thoughts, negative thoughts can't hurt you unless you act on them. So you might have the thought, oh, I'm going to fail. Oh, this isn't going to work, but you act as if you're going to step out and be courageous anyway. You're going to act despite your feelings. You're going to rebel against your feelings or that limiting belief, and you're going to walk down that mental trail again, and you'll build a new highway. And after that 60-day mark, that's when you really have made a new habit of, I am worthy, and I trust myself to act on that. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really interesting to, to understand the science behind that as well. And, um, yeah, and so I hope that some people can put these things into practice and some of these these steps and um, put those things into practice to really help them sort of move past some of those blocks, those limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. And um, so in your life, who do you think um, has been uh, your biggest influence um, or who a couple, you can name a couple of them if you like, either in your, your real life or celebrities or people you've looked up to who, who have influenced you in a really positive way? So definitely my mother. You're probably expecting that answer, but I would not be doing what I'm doing or be the person I am without her for obvious reasons. Um, another big influence is my boss. I work for Dawson Church. She's a big... He's big in the EFT world. Um, He started one of the first certification companies and he influences me most because he's just trusted me so much um, and has allowed me to teach and I now train for them. But I was Mm -hmm. so young, so new to it. And he kind of like took me under his wing as as my mentor almost, which was just so empowering since I was switching into a new career from the journalism and teaching. So he's given me so much ownership over the classes and getting to teach. So that's been transformative to get to teach future students. So he's definitely a mentor of mine. He's really selfless. Like he could be retired right now, but he's choosing to run a very chaotic certification um, with a ton of different personalities in there. So that's been amazing. And I mean, so many healers, like I love, I don't know if you know Lacey Phillips of To Be Magnetic. Yeah, Yeah, she's amazing. Amazing. Love her. She's another person that I think really breaks it down really well. Like this, um, she takes it very much into the practical space as well. I love her meditations. 
Oh, and she goes so deep, doesn't apologize, and yeah. she also doesn't have, you know, she's not a clinical clinical psychologist, which I think was, you know, talk about shadowy shame. I mm-hmm. just so, being from the East Coast, New England, I felt like I had to have that degree, so I think um, just being able to yeah. own, like, I have tons of skills, I have, and we don't need that clinical sort of psychology degree in order to impact people. So she was a huge um, influence to me to kind of step step up my game. And so I, there's countless people. I mean, every book I've read, every author has been like a mentor. They've all influenced me. I love shadow work. So Carolyn Mace, do you yeah. read her stuff? Shadow work is like my favorite thing to do. Um, I think it's the most important thing to do. So being able to de-shame um, our darkest is the most healing thing that we can do. So she's definitely been an influence. Yeah, I really well. like. I really enjoy Debbie Ford as well. I really like her. You know what? Like, I think I'm thinking of her. I'm thinking of that book, Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Light Chasers. Yes. Yes. I love. Uh, I love this book, and I also think it's a really powerful practice um, to just bring. You know, to just integrate those those aspects of yourself and to. I mean, I think I did in another video that maybe you saw, like when you talk about something like self being selfish or whatever, it's that we can't, we become so out of balance with some of these aspects. Even as a society, we've labeled certain things like just really bad. And um, I think it's so powerful to be able to bring those things back into alignment and back into balance. And um, I've really, I really see shadow work also as a very powerful practice. 100%. There, I know there was a question about what do I do when I feel like I'm not enough without a partner, and I immediately thought of shadow work. There's so many negative connotations attached to being signal, whether it's not as fun, weak, not as worthy, unwanted, lonely, like the shadowy part of lonely. It's like, what about all the beautiful, joyous, single people? So I, like, that anyone who's kind of struggling with that, it's such a cultural narrative, deal with that shadow, like face that darkest loneliness, unwanted part of you until you bring it into that light space. It's going to be so powerful just to redeem that empowered singleness. So throughout this lockdown situation, this whole, I mean, we sort of seem to be moving out of it now in some in some capacity and I hope by the time that we we air this podcast episode that we'll really be further along the way to opening up and to overcoming this but one of the things that I really see after this lockdown and as we begin to open up I think that we are sort of almost on the verge of another mental health crisis you know Mm -hmm. of a mental health crisis actually because I think it's going to be very, very overwhelming for people when we eventually do start, you know, being around a lot of people again after we've really detoxed from that energy over the last several months of being really at home alone just with a few people. So um, how do you see this playing out and um, what can you recommend for people to be able to sort of um, to be able to cope with that? Yeah, I think about this all the time. I I think one of the biggest things that I've already seen be hard when people start to socialize is that group shaming. So one, like make a commitment not to do that. Like you're going to have your way of going out into the world, but don't project that or expect that from other people. It's like, there's no right way to do this. We're all so new to this. We're all 
kind of in a state of fight or flight in our own way. So just giving people grace and owning your choices, however you choose to become social. And then if your friends or family or strangers are doing their socializing differently, that's okay. I think that's going to be the biggest learning experience. And I think it'll really help people grow. Yeah. The, I, I mean, there's so many things we're going to have to face. I, I don't even know how to, but I think one of them is really having emotional boundaries. So mm-hmm. there's so, I'm sure tons of people listening to your podcast are empaths or at least empathic in some way. And they feel the feelings of others. Like they're going to feel the fear. They're going to feel the judgment. They're going to feel all that worry. So really having your own feet and groundedness in your own body is going to be huge. So any practices you can do from like breath work to meditation to just visualizing your own sphere and really learning, okay, what's mine and what's theirs. That's like something I've had to do like every day. I think because I just like feel the weight of this city so much heavier, but it's like, what is mine and what is theirs and then really just letting go of any responsibility to take care of other people's feelings. I think that's what we're really moving into. Like, I am responsible for my emotional health, and I am going to give grace to other people, but I will not be responsible because it'll just be too much, especially for my sweet empaths. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I can see that even already in lockdown. I mean, I've even felt it in myself, and I have definitely have other friends that have, really empathetic but they are you know really feeling confused because they're like hang on I'm safe I'm home but why am I feeling all of this like emotion and they're really feeling that collective energy you know that um that collective fear and that collective stress and um I think it's really important to have practices to be able to release that from our body and get really back grounded back into our own our own space and our own bodies. And then you're also in a space that you can actually serve people as well. You know, you can be there for people in a different way um, when you have that awareness and be able to separate what what is my emotions and what is theirs. You know, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, so many caring, like, heart people are going, well, how do I be caring if I'm not feeling it? How can I be caring if I'm disconnected? And it's, we have to shift out of that and go, just like you said, it's the most caring thing to kind of put your face mask on first and then be there for other people as a whole strong person. Yeah, yeah. And um, what have you been diving into during this lockdown? What um, books and resources, podcasts, Instagram lives, group meditations? Are there any <laughs> things that you've been really diving into and, and getting into? Honestly, I've been reading a ton of fiction for the first time in my life, <laughs> but um, a lot of fiction books. But I, I'm so into the podcast world. I don't know. Mm. There's Dr. Motley. He's an amazing acupuncturist out of Nashville, and he gives so many tips that are so empowered, not fear-mongering at all about immunity. So we'll have to post that, but Dr. Motley is amazing. Yeah. Um, I tap all the time. I mean, I started the, I started doing sharing weekly meditations and weekly tapping just because I was doing them. So I'm definitely doing that. We do like a membership where we share that, but there's the tapping solution app. 
It's um, a lot of their tapping resources are completely free, or I think you can pay a small fee for the app and that you can search their database for any feeling you're feeling. And they have tons for what's going on politically. They have tons of specific tapping scripts for COVID. So you can get tapping scripts that are a little less strange because it's all little stop motion videos. Wow, so definitely cool. getting into that. And I def I have my meditations that I do, um, my meditation courses that I do. Yeah, please tell us more about the services that you offer, the services you offer with Etch Daily and also your one-on-one services. Oh, yeah. the um, Well, there's so many free meditation apps like Insight Timer and Headspace, but we started... Um, a few months ago, just on Patreon, so you can donate. It's like five, ten, or twenty, and mm-hmm. depending on which one, we do a meditation and we try to pick themes. We post like a poll for the members. So we did empathic anxiety one month. So every meditation we sent out, every EFT was to release other people's stuff. Um, this month, it's all about freedom from limiting beliefs. So all the meditations mm-hmm. we did a chakra meditation on limiting beliefs. We did. We do breath work on empowered beliefs and releasing beliefs about others. So that's on the Patreon. So we basically send a tool every week, a Monday meditation, Tuesday tapping, Wednesday mindfulness challenge, Thursday a yoga flow um, that's sometimes energy-based, and then Friday like a writing exercise. So that's been fun, and I, I do those because they're all thematic And yeah, and then I do, I make courses. That's what I'm moving into. So I have, I love your shadow stuff because we have like an EFT for breakthrough course. um, And that has a special lesson on shadows and beliefs. And yeah, I see clients. I'm taking a break from clients to edit my book for this month. But back in Mm. the fall, I'll be seeing clients again. And um, so, yeah. tell us about your previous book, Amazon Bestselling Author, and your previous book, I Can't Believe I Dated Him, and you're currently writing a new book. <laughs> yeah, so I Can't Believe I Dated book. Him was fun. That was like four years ago now. It's so fast. But yeah, that was a number one new release on Amazon, which was fun. But that goes through the seven main emotions we feel when we're with someone or aiming to leave someone. So it has really practical tips for dealing with the different stages of a relationship end from like shame, insecurity, misused empathy, like when we go, well, what if they change? So that's like a really practical step book of viewing relationships and all the triggers as opportunities to heal your relationship patterns and inevitably like your childhood. And then this book I'm excited about, it's more like my heart around anxiety and childhood trauma and it goes more into my story so it's been a lot harder to write but it's practice makes peace um picture the perfection crossed out so it's really about Mm -hmm. using perfectionism based anxiety as an opportunity to really feel what our needs are heal those limiting beliefs and then to go reparent that inner child who picked that stuff up those patterns in the first place so yeah I'm in the editing phase so I will pray for you for sure for sure and I think um yeah I think it's a really it's sort of I think that's going to be an amazing resource I really do I think that it's it's definitely necessary in our time and it, it's so funny um 
as well when you talk, you know, that you you met these these really empowered Christian girls and you met your husband in church. And I really love the way that you blend um, the spirituality and this faith-based foundation with these sort of more holistic tools. And um, because I personally think that they really, they you know, really blend well together because there's, you know, there's so much indication in the Bible talking about the renewal of your mind and, um, you know, taking thoughts captive that don't align with who you really are, you know, and who God says you are. And and um, so I think that that crossover, that space um, between, um, you know, faith-based practice and these sort of mm-hmm. more modern neuroscience and scientific and psychological practices I think they blend really well together and I think you do such a such an interesting job about that uh, with that and um, can you talk more on your experience of that and um, sort of what you feel about that yeah and I, I love that verse there's a verse at the bottom of all my emails it's my favorite the um don't succumb to the patterns of the world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And I just, I do feel, and this is any religious sect or spirituality believes that we were wired to be an image of God. And I really believe that like we are not born broken or anything. We're wired to be able to create heaven on earth. And it starts in our mind to like see the light in ourselves, to see the light in other people And the only thing holding us back from living that is kind of believing the circumstance in front of us, which which can sometimes feel like a a trauma or a block. And we, it's so hard when we haven't been modeled this that even when there's a huge obstacle, it's we can still overcome or we can still have hope. So that's like my secret mission when I work with people is like, okay, how can we? Um, how can we look at your circumstance but take the highest perspective on it? Because we can't change our circumstance most of the times, but we can change our perspective. And I think that is like the most spiritual thing we can do as human beings is to say, I'm not going to be a captive to my situation or my limited situation or past. I'm going to choose and take empowered action to see this the way it's going to serve me and others and I'm not going to let this situation stop me from living that out. I think it's just the most powerful thing we can do is exercise that level of free will. So, and I do think of like how I blended is I think how I grew up. I just, the energy system to me is not spiritual. It's a system of the body that most people just weren't educated on. So it's really easy yeah. for me to see the science of that and and think of it as just like I'm a masseuse for someone's nervous system, you know? But, um, so there's, I work with a lot of people where I have to just, just, you know, explain it in new ways where they're not scared. A lot of people are scared that it's somehow counter to their religion or counter to their belief systems, no matter what I've worked with people of all backgrounds and there's a lot of fear there. So it's just really reteaching that this is a system of the body and it's separate and it, but it will just like when you feel physically well, you're going to be able to be present in your prayers or when your stomach's not hurting, you're going to be able to be that graceful, forgiving person. 
like you want to be in your faith, right? Just like our energy system, it just supports our spirituality, whatever our faith might be. Yeah, 100%. It's such an asset to um, to your, whatever spiritual practice that you have, I think, um, to be able to, you know, even in yogic practices, a lot of, you know, a lot of yoga is aligning the body and conditioning the body to mm-hmm. be able to have that space of stillness, you know, mm-hmm. um, to have that space of stillness at the end of the class. And, um, you know, I think that that is also a part of you know understanding our nervous system better and how our nervous system functions um to be able to condition that in the same way we would do yoga asanas that we we do things that condition our nervous system as well all to be able to come back to that place of homeostasis i think Mm. yeah it's like how can we hear the voice of our god or our beliefs if we have all these other radio channels on and buzzing i love how you said that we need to turn the volume down come into silence so we can actually hear and soak in what we want to soak in yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and where can our listeners find you yeah, well, you mentioned Etched Daily. That's the Instagram. We put a ton of free resources and information. Um, so that's a great place to start. It's E-T-C-H-E-D. It stands for Energy Therapy and Cognitive Health Education. So Etched Daily, um, and that's also the website as well where there's um, there's like a free tapping video if someone wants to learn where the points are so they can head to that website. And then my name, I also have a site for my name. That's more for my workshops, trainings, and private sessions, Jackie Veramontes. Those are the three main places. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, we did have some some listener questions, but I think we've actually really covered them. So... um, so we did, we I think we have already covered them. Let me just check. Um, there was one that I thought was so powerful. It's the what's yeah. behind fear of being beautiful. I thought that was a really brave okay. question to ask. Yeah, let's dive into that and let's... Um, and then we can let, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, we could actually talk for hours. This could be a three-hour podcast, oh honestly. But we it's, have been, to stop. it's been really um, great. It's been really great. But yeah, I also really thought that um, that question was very interesting as well. Um, we've covered the one just for the people who are listening. We had a couple of questions um, like, why am I fearful of letting go of relationships that I know that are bad for me? But I think that we've covered that one and we, we spoke about that in a little bit of depth. And um, but yeah, like what is the what is behind the fear of being beautiful and feminine? Um, mm. I find myself playing small and not wanting to fully embrace my femininity and beauty. And this actually this question actually came from someone I don't know, but I do have a couple of friends who sort of struggle in the space of, um, you know, how, how do I embrace that beauty and feminine essence and feminine aspect of myself? And I think that that's, um, that's really, it's a really interesting question to dive into. This is a powerful question. I even think the bravery of asking, I was picturing if you were in a group room and asked that this person may Mm. have not being able to ask it in front of people. And I think that's one of the first reasons that just um, popped to mind is that there is so much competition between women and women 
that it's like we're not even allowed to think that we're beautiful. We're not even allowed to think that we have that because who do you think you are is that voice. Um, There's like so much, maybe this is worse in the States, I'm not sure, but it's almost like when there's a beautiful woman, our first instinct isn't, oh, lucky her. There's competition and, and comparison and inadequacy. So one thing is like to really look at if the fear is stemming from um, that losing that belonging. So if you really own your beauty, if you really step out, if you really like do yourself up the way you want to, are you going to feel that loss of belonging or connection to your girlfriends or to that tribe of women? Um, Because I think we're just so trained to not want to have that kind of hate or comparison directed at us. I I say that speaking from experience, having an identical twin, there was so much um, female competition of, well, you just get attention because of this and it can be really hurtful. So especially if you had that growing up. The second is, I think a lot of people probably have thought about this. Um, There's also that negative attention from males So yes, we want to be beautiful, but we've also learned through experience and watching the experience of our sisters, our sisterhood collective, that it's not that safe to stand out as beautiful and feminine. It's safer to hide. A lot of people um, who've experienced sexual trauma can put on layers, whether it's like physical weights or just like a facade where they don't let themselves show their body for, for like a really valuable reason. They want to feel safe. So that's like a, a, a bigger reason why we, as women we can play small and hide that femininity because it's not safe. And it's, it can, especially if it's in your family of origin, if there's just violation on a sexual level, it's going to epigenetically be, in, be a pattern in there that you're going to have to break so those are the two things. I guess it is like it's not safe with men, and then it's not safe with women, um, no matter yeah. what you where you lean. Yeah, I think there also could be another layer to this, just um, that I only sort of became aware of when I moved to when I moved to India, and um, mm. because I had never sort of seen this patterning of you know it it, it is traditionally a very patriarchal society and Mm. you know that we still do have infanticide there and um in india where people you know um um, females are uh, terminated you know um are aborted because um there really is this aspect of you know that the for the family they they would prefer to have have a a boy and so this was something that I like I never experienced at all in my life I I never even saw that um and I certainly never experienced it in my family my parents were so happy to have a girl and but you know I've always been encouraged in my um femininity and Mm. um that aspect so I think that that can we speak to that a little bit because I think that that is definitely something that still exists in in society in India not um not necessarily very obviously on the surface but it does it is still deeply rooted I think in the in the psyche of the country that um you know this sort of they're growing out of and evolving out of this patriarchal society 
Oh, completely. That's so interesting, Claire. I'm thinking of just all the ways we're rewarded as little girls for be having math you know, quote unquote, masculine traits, even I was athletic Mm. and just being praised and all the attention from my dad being around how athletic and competitive I was, how strong I was, which women are competitive, strong and athletic, but they're stereotypically masculine traits. So Mm. it's like this desire and this praise to be like a boy. I'm thinking of like all the adjectives I've been praised for being tough, being strong, being athletic, um, assertive. And it's not like, oh, you're so, I'm also such a sensitive person. It's one of my greatest gifts, but I was never praised Mm -hmm. for that. So I'm thinking of just how subconsciously we get rewarded and praised for, for being like boys, a stereotypical boy. And that's part of that patriarchal conditioning that my dad wasn't meaning to do that. My teachers mm. weren't meaning to yeah. do that, and it still, but it, it was exists happening. in the West as well. I think it definitely still exists very um, in a very nuanced way, I think, in the West, you know, and I, I guess mm-hmm. I, it never had occurred to me until I moved to India and I was like, oh, wow, okay, you know, and um, mm-hmm. it was, it was, I guess, highlighted a little bit more, but now that we talk about it, it also does really exist in the West. We're very rarely encouraged in these Um, and praised as children for embodying these, um, you know, this really feminine essence, except um, I think on a surface level, oh, pretty, you're so pretty, oh, you're so beautiful. Do you know what I mean? It's never those, um, those (laughs) internal feminine qualities that are praised. You're right. You're so smart. You're so creative. You're so collaborative. It's like none of that. It's the external, which also could shut us down from not wanting that attention. I mean... Mm. It's so interesting. That's so interesting, your experience in India. I was there for a month only, and it, it's, like, such an impactful place. But I'm even thinking yeah. with the many places where girls, it's just assumed that they'll stop um, getting an education after eighth grade. We, we start to learn, like, okay, as a woman, wh- where is my value come from? Is it from bearing mm-hmm. children and helping around the house? or So, like, we as- the things we associate with femininity versus masculinity would really make me not want to step into that feminine role because I think I probably would reject a lot of the things people would say was feminine. I'm like, I don't want that. I want to be associated with these things. So it's realizing that those are just illusions and constructs and we don't have to buy into them. We can be whatever we damn well want to be as a woman. Um, So I would almost, I almost like want someone to make a T-chart of like feminine, masculine, and then just choose. Choose what it means to be feminine to you. Choose what it means to be beautiful and feminine to you. Um, and get rid of all, just notice what all the negative connotations are. Also, I think that's a big thing, the negative connotations of femininity, like shallow, vain, slutty is a huge thing. Um, or it's like all these awful connotations just because women have been objectified for so long I mean, especially in places where patriarchy is not under the surface, but over the surface, it's like there's been so much objectification that it's so hard for us to see the female body outside of being an object. Mm. So I think we just need to, it's such a big, big thing, but it always starts within of like, what is it to you? Yeah. And and in India, it's, it's a very, it's a really interesting place to live. And, um, 
because it's so diverse in so many ways, um, you know, mm-hmm. in so many ways that, for example, Australia is, is not. And, um, you know, so even in this sort of aspect of the way um, women are viewed and women are treated can be totally different from one end of the country to the next or um, in rural society or metro society it can be so different and it's it's very interesting to just be an observer an outsider to observe how that plays out and how that um, influences people but for for the person asking this question that's feeling like they know that they want I'm getting from this question that they they feel themselves playing small, and they want to embrace, fully embrace their femininity and beauty. So what do we think are the first steps towards doing it? I, th- I think you're going to say shadow, <laughs> getting into some shadow work <laughs> and owning some of those feminine, feminine aspects a little bit. But what would you say um, to this person, how they can just start stepping out into embracing that beauty and femininity? Because it really is totally. our superpower. <laughs> Honestly, it's our superpower. <laughs> Totally shadow. I call it like mm-hmm. embodying when, when embodying when your goal, when your dream becomes your worst nightmare. It's like mm-hmm. when so picture fully embodying it just the way you want, exactly as you want. Um, best case scenario, and notice if there's any repercussions or fears to it. And it'll just so really amp up the dial on that visual and walk yourself through it mentally of what would it look like to walk through work embracing your femininity, to walk through a date, to walk through hanging out with your friends, and to walk through it on social media. And just notice if there's any little little zings of repercussions or like, ooh, danger. And then make a list. And then what you can do is like work through those. You could tap on those. You could pray about those. Um, But then take the step to just act because acting will normally prove those worst case scenarios wrong. Usually those things won't happen. Obviously be discerning, but usually those worst case scenarios we're going to prove wrong if we just step out of our comfort zone, do it and realize that, oh, no one had that negative reaction or, oh, everyone embraced me. So yeah deal with your worst case scenarios mentally first and then act on them um, to prove them wrong. That's what I would say. You probably have many tips for that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I, I, I also think that, I mean, um, especially in terms of shadow work, I, when I kind of identify shadow in me, it now is, I'm that kind of person any, anyway, that if something scares me, then I'm like, I've got to do it. You know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. in general that kind of person. But um, with, with shadow work, it's definitely something that I've committed to because I, I really don't want those kind of things to hold me back or I want to be my fullest version of self. I want to be mm-hmm. the person that God created me to be. I want to be that image bearer, that most radiant projection of, you know, of who I authentically am, you know, and so Mm -hmm. when I kind of, and, you know, we will continuously for the rest of our lives, I think, realize, recognize these different aspects of shadow. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if we really commit to that owning it, and like you said, once you do take that step and step out and own it, um, it, those repercussions don't happen. And you, um, you know, I, I always think that those action steps are really really one of the most important spaces of that 
Oh my gosh, so, and you said image bearer. I'm like, hmm. you can be an image bearer for people. And to, I think, look for image bearers. Like, go look for examples of women who you find doing this the way you want to. Yeah. And that's it really helps. Like, we get those mirror neurons where we see it, we believe it, we, we can kind of have a role model in that sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I think that's so important as well. It's like who, who you surround yourself with is really important. And um, in this space where we're sort of in lockdown, we're at home and we're really living through the space of social media, it's, um, I think it's really important to look at who you're taking in, like who, who are you letting into your world? And mm-hmm. um, you can really curate that on social media. And I think that that's very important as well. And yeah, actually, that's great advice for someone who's wanting to step into their femininity and beauty is look for those people that already really embody those qualities and, um, you know, have a, yeah, have a role model in that way. I think that's great advice. Mm, love that. Such so, a good question. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great question. Thank you for asking that. Thank you for asking the other questions. We got some other great ones as well, but we've really covered them um, when we were discussing your book and techniques for um, relationships and moving out of unhealthy relationships and things like that. Um, So yeah, thanks guys. I think I'm going to continue doing that um, for all of my guests to just um, have some listener input on um, you know, what questions that you would like, like to ask. So please continue asking those questions. And um, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a, a pleasure um, chatting with you and having this conversation. I feel like we could go on forever more. Um, but, um, you know, it's been really great. And it must be getting late there in LA. So I'll <laughs> let you go. <laughs> but, it's been so um, great. Yeah, it's thanks, so interesting. Thank you for joining me. It's mm-hmm. been fantastic. Oh, thank you. It's been such an honor. I really like, loved it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.